Well, good morning. I, <laughs> I just realized you can see yourself up here. That's what those young men were doing, weren't they? Get the chance to see yourself kind of dance a little bit. I'm Scott Warner. I don't know all of you. Uh, all of you don't know me, but I can tell you I grew up here at this church. I would have been one of the boys here dancing in front of the screen during the prayer. Uh, like you just saw. And I turned out kind of okay. So um, it's such a blessing for me to be here with you. It is surreal to me. Um, 30 years ago, I left here. And um, to come back and see so many of you that have known me for so long, even much longer than that, uh, is, is, is heartwarming and it's emotional for me. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, I have so many memories of this place playing wall ball out there and ruining my pants after church uh, in that area. Uh, I was baptized about 35 years ago in this baptistry on a Monday and then I preached on Wednesday uh, here at this church. So uh, I have so many great memories. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for the building of your education wing over there. Uh, when I say I'm responsible, I mean I helped sweep up while they made it. So I was pretty much built it. I pretty much built that place. <laughs> and, of course, uh, David Hunt and I uh, protected this place from savage bandits years ago. And if you need to know that story, you can hear that some other time. But uh, so many memories that I have here. And, of course, seeing some of you that I have known for so, so long uh, Clarks and Battens and Wallaces and Stanleys and Mullins and Wilmars and just people that I've known forever. Uh, it is really neat to be here with you today. And of course, I have a special relationship with one of your former preachers here that's very long and special and has shaped me in a lot of ways. Um, that's right, Mark Edge was my, uh, <laughs> he was my first counselor at Camp Deer Run. And uh, really shaped me a lot there. When I was a Chukawaka, and he was my counselor, and I think we brought home the Camper of the, the Week Award, which was a big deal. It's still kind of something that I, I like to lean on there. So Mark had a big hand in that. So had that very special relationship there. Uh, no, my, my folks, of course, uh, Mike and Barbara, uh, I'm so grateful that they raised me in a place like this, uh, a church uh, that when I remember and I look back, uh, I think of this place in such fond ways uh, for the way that you treated my family, the way that you loved my folks, that you loved my father, and that you loved all of us. And this place will always have a, a special place in my heart, a, a place of generosity. It's the way I always remember this place. These people of Shiloh Road, generous with their time, generous with their, with their money, generous with their love. So y you guys stay that way. It's very special, and I hope you never lose that. We're going to be uh, in Proverbs. Uh, my understanding is that you've been doing a series in Proverbs, and so when I talked to Gary, he asked if I would take this specific proverb. We're going to be in Proverbs 18, if you want to turn over there, but I think we're going to have it up on the screen for you here in just a little bit. But uh, I know that you guys have been doing this, and I understand this is the last week in the series of Proverbs, and it's called uh, sound bites, and I know that that's what Proverbs can look like sometimes, is these little short sound bites, these little clips of wisdom. And I, and I hope, I hope that we don't overlook these things sometimes. I know they can be short and they can be small things of wisdom, but these are, these are not words from a fortune cookie. These are not the words that belong on, on one of those posters that's in your office that have a kitten on them or anything like that. These are, these are words from God. And, and in particular, when we look at these words from God, especially through the lens of Jesus Christ and as followers of Jesus Christ, 
They can be so rich, and they can tell us so much. So I think it's so important that when we look at this, we look at this through the lens of Jesus Christ. And we'll continue that this morning, and uh, that's what we'll be doing. So we're going to be Proverbs 18, 21. And here's the proverb we're going to be using this morning. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Short, direct, but very powerful thing. I had, to, I had to do a little work with that. The last part there, the tongue has the power of life and death is pretty clear. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Basically said, those of you that love to talk, you're going to reap the fruit of what you say. One way or another, that's something that's going to happen to you. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to take something like this proverb and we want to look at this and we want to look at this through the lens of Jesus and see what it has to tell us about who we are as followers of Christ. You know, as followers of Christ, one of the first things we know is we know that there's power in words. I mean, if you know the Bible and if you've seen the way, you know, God spoke the word into existence. There's power there. We know that when the prophets used to speak, they would say, this is the word of God. And, man, the people would stop and they would listen and it had great impact on what was going on there. We know that Jesus was even called the word. We know that God's words are so powerful and so powerful. Especially when you start thinking about even the life of Jesus. You know, as far as we know, he never wrote anything. But boy, did he say a lot. And those words were so powerful. So as Christians, we have great respect for the word of God. But that's not what this proverb's about. This proverb is talking about the power in your words. What they have the ability and the power to do and to undo. The power that they have for good, for bad, for life. And for death. I saw another translation of this same proverb, and it's, it's a little more in-your-face sort of translation. It, it goes like this. Words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Well, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Another translation of that, but kind of hits you right square in the face, doesn't it? Words can bring life. Words can bring death. We can look at that as kind of a cute saying, but the fact is, I don't know how much we believe a statement like that. It kind of seems like maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Maybe a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, words that really bring life and death. Do we really believe that? That words are that powerful? This week, I met with a lady at our church uh, whose husband is leaving her. He's divorcing her. They've been married about 30 years. And over the course of that 30 years, he has convinced her that she is stupid and ugly and fat and weak and worthless. I sat and listened to her say it. This is what I am. Over the course of 30 years, a child of God made in his image came to the point where she believed she absolutely had no value. She had all the signs of a battered wife without one punch ever being thrown. Oh, our words have power. There's no doubt that our words have power. But even with that, sorry, I, I, I got to tell you, when it started raining like that, I had a flashback to a time where the sirens went off with the tornado and we all went and hid back in the back of the auditorium. I'm praying that doesn't happen this morning, but I want you to know that if it does, I know what to do because I was here the last time that we had to do that, so you're safe with me. Our words do have power. 
and you can see what they're capable of. And as a matter of fact, if you look at our political environment and social media right now in this era of divisiveness and of disrespect, words have become weapons that people wield not just to destroy the arguments of other people, but to actually destroy other people, their beliefs, who they are. They're wielded in that way to mock their beliefs, their perspectives, and the person themselves. Social media that was created to bring us all closer together has become this battleground for eviscerating each other, being able to take each other apart with words and then click the computer off without having any blood on our hands whatsoever. So yeah, it can be tough. Our words, they have power. And, and, and I'll tell you, typically we, have, uh, we are more likely to believe that our words can do damage than we are that they can bring life. It's easier to believe that in some way. We believe that the damage can be done in our words, but sometimes we may have a hard time believing that we also can do great things with the words that we have. That we actually can have words that bring life to people. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, if you've ever said that before. But the fact that we can do damage with our words, yeah, yeah, I can believe that. But that you actually have words that you could speak that will bring life to somebody else, and typically we go, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's very possible. And so a lot of times what happens is we see a scripture like this that says, your words have the power of life and they have the power of death, so be careful. And what we do is we take scriptures like this and we beat ourselves up a little bit about it. And one of the things we want to do is concentrate on taking out these words that are words of death. And we do that with a lot of things. We want to do addition by subtraction. I become more Christ-like if I can just get these awful things out of my life. If I can just empty myself of these bad things, then I become what I want to be, and that's really not the way it works. That's addition by subtraction. You don't become more Christ-like just by getting out some of the bad in your life. We're called to more than that. We're actually called to be filled with the words of life, to be filled with Christ, to have so much of him in us that it drives out these things that aren't holy and that aren't life-given in any way. In our world, they are desperate for words of life. Just desperate. Because words of life have to do with your value. They have to do with who you are in the eyes of Christ and in the eyes of your Heavenly Father. I don't know if you've ever seen this show, but this one kind of got me uh, thinking about this. Have you ever seen Undercover Boss? I've watched it a few times. I've come to love the show and I want to tell you why. If you haven't seen it before, here's what it is. They take the CEO of this company, and they put him in a disguise, him or her, and they put him in a disguise, and then they take him, and they send him down to the, the front lines of their work, whatever they do. If they own uh, restaurants, they will send them and go, you're going to start in the kitchen on fries, and you're going to be doing that for a little while. And the point is, is to get them out of their big executive office and to get them down where their hands are getting dirty among the people who are actually making their business happen. And then they get down there and they get to know the people that are actually working in their company making these things happen. And there's always some kind of neat story with some of their employees. But the best part of the show is at the end. At the end of the show, the CEO will reveal himself to the people that he was working with. He'll call them in. And they don't know why they're there in the CEO's office. You know, that's always bad news. You get called to the CEO's office. You don't know why that is. And then they walk in and, and the guy's there and he goes, do you recognize me? He said, yeah, you were the guy that was really bad at making fries a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the C I'm actually the CEO. And the neat part comes when he gets to pull in the people that he worked with, and he says these words to them. He goes, I want you to know 
I watched you for a week, and you're important to what we do. You're valuable to our company. You matter. I see you, and you're valuable. And people break down and cry. They fall apart. You want to know why? Because those words of life are so rare in our world. So rare for people to hear, you matter. You're valuable. You're important. You're loved. Those are the words of life. And man, our world is so, so hungry for them. And that's why it's important for us. And what I want to talk to you today is not about getting rid of words of death. I want to talk to you about filling your life with these words that give life. Taking these words that Jesus used and these words that come from Scripture and making those the words that we use in our daily walk and when we talk to one another. We are not just people who just don't hurt others. We are the bringers of the words of life. That's who we are. We've been entrusted with that by our Savior. And we have those inside of us. That is the gospel, right? Gospel means good news. Words of life. The good news. More than anything, those are the words that we should be speaking. Those should be the words that flow out of our heart on a daily basis. Our goal is not to try and rid ourselves of talk that brings death but to fill ourselves with words of life. Now, this can be kind of hard because sometimes we get confused. And let me tell you how I get confused. This is an important part. Things that are true are not necessarily life-giving, but all things that are life-giving are true. Now, let me back you up before we get confused here a little bit. Not everything that is true is necessarily life-giving. There are some things that are true that I can destroy you with. There are some things that are true that you can say to me that will really hurt. And so those aren't the same things. Let me tell you why I struggle with this. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of something called an Enneagram. Has anybody ever heard of an Enneagram? It's a personality typing process. You got a few nods. It's a personality typing process. It's one of these, it's an ancient thing. It's based in spirituality and God. And one of the things that I just learned recently about myself through that is I'm what's called an eight. They just have numbers, one through nine. I'm an eight. I'm a big, fat eight. I'm a huge eight. And one of the things about an eight is that our defining characteristic is that we must be heard. So what do I do? I get a job where I come up here and y'all are made to sit for a while and listen to me. But that is one of our defining characteristics is that we feel like we must be heard. We want to confront things. We are speakers of truth. We are the ones who take pride often in saying we'll say the hard things. We'll confront people who need to be confronted. We will be blunt. We will say the things that are true. And one of the hard things that I've learned is evidently I've gotten to the point where I believe that if something's true, then that means it's okay for me to say it. And that's not right. And I've heard a lot of people with that. I've heard a lot of people being blunt and being true. Just because something is true or accurate doesn't make them life-giving. Many a person has been beaten bloody with words that are true, but that weren't life-giving. You know what I mean by this, I think. If you think about it, if I have a three-year-old child, 
I could crush them with things that are true, right? I mean, I could say, look, you're short, you smell funny, and you don't add anything productive to the world. All of that's true. Every bit of it. But it's not life-giving. <laughs> that can be crushing, especially to a young one if you say that over and over again. Let me tell you something else that's true, but it's not life-giving. The running app on my phone. I don't know if any of y'all have this, but if you run a little bit, you can get this app and you download it. And what it does is when you go running, it keeps up with how far you went and how fast you went, and, um, and it keeps this running total. Well, then here's what happens is if you don't go run for a couple of days, your app starts bugging you. It starts popping up going, hey, why aren't you running anymore, Scott? Hey, you used to run all the time. Hey, you're getting fat. It doesn't say that, but it seems like that's what it says. <laughs> you set this goal, and you're way behind. Let me tell you, that app tells me the truth, but crushes me. It just makes me feel awful about myself. I hate that app. I can't stand it. It's kind of like a scale, right? Your scale in your bathroom, it's true and it's accurate, but it can crush you. Not necessarily the words of life that come out of my scale all the time, especially as I get older and older. Things that are true are not necessarily life-giving. Jesus understood this. As a matter of fact, you can see it in the way that he spoke to people. Just because something's true doesn't make it life-giving. As a matter of fact, there are some of God's perfect words that can be life-taking at times, depending on how they're used. I want to show you something. If you would, turn over to John chapter 8. I want to read a story to you where Jesus has this confrontation with some Pharisees, and one of the things they're wanting to do is go, we want you to say something that's true, and he won't do it. And we're going to look at why, because he was more interested in saying something that was life-giving. This is John chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. And leave your life of sin. I know you've probably heard this story before, but I don't know if we always look at the impact that's happening here, the words that are coming, and what this means, and what Jesus is actually showing us about words of life and about words of death. This point where they bring this woman who obviously they don't care about, she's being used in a trap. And of course, there's no man to be found at all in this. They just bring this woman and they throw her there in the midst of all of these people. And they go, here's the deal, dude. 
Moses says she should die. What do you say? And, and I don't know if you know, but here's the trap. The trap they're trying to set is to go, if you say she dies, you break Roman law. If you say she lives, you break Jewish law. No matter what, you lose, Jesus. And so that's the trap that they're setting. But the interesting thing is the way that Jesus responds to this. And I don't know if you know this. One of the things that, that gets discussed a lot among people who read this story is what Jesus is writing on the ground. That it gets down in and I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard some people say that he was probably down there doodling, giving this question the attention it deserves, which is not much. I've also heard people say that he's down there and he's writing the sins of all of the people that are gathered around him. There's no way for us to know what Jesus was doing down there in the ground. There's no way. But I will tell you, I saw one interpretation that I really liked. If you saw the Passion of the Christ, in the Passion of the Christ, they flash back to this scene as Jesus makes his way to the cross. And one of the things that happens there is they bring this woman and they throw her there and there she is next to Jesus and all of these people stand there. And in the movie, the way that they interpret this is Jesus sticks his hand in the ground and there's this close-up shot. It's very dramatic. And he sticks his knuckle in the ground and he draws a line in the sand. And that's what he's doing. It's not doodling. It's not writing. It's a line. I'm drawing a line in the sand right here. I'll tell you, I again, we don't know what he really did, but I can tell you, even if he physically didn't draw a line in the sand, metaphorically he did, there was a line drawn that day right there in that place. And it wasn't where they wanted. Because the people who brought him go, look, here's the deal. You stand with her, the sinner, or you stand with us, the righteous people that are keeping the law, and there's the line. That's what this is about. And Jesus refuses that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take that argument. And I refuse to use your line. Because here's the deal. If there's a line that has to do with sinners and non-sinners, I'm the only one on this side. If I draw a line for people to get what they deserve, then you all die. Every one of you. And that's not why I came. Instead, he says these words, these so powerful words of life. Because here's the thing. He could say the words of death. He had every right. And they were true. Yes, she deserves to be stoned. True. Accurate. And of all people, he had the right to say them. But that's not why he came. It would mess up his mission. Because his mission was not to come and draw a line between him and us, his mission was to come go, I am crossing the line to where you are. I have come for you. I have come to make sure that I get to bring you back to the Father. And if I say the words of death right now and say, yes, you deserve to be stoned, I don't get the chance to save you. And so I won't go there. If it's about deserve, we're all in trouble. I'm so thankful it's not about what we deserve. And instead, what Jesus says is these powerful words. I did not come to condemn you. That's not why I'm here. That ruins my mission if I come and condemn you because everybody gets condemned. I came to erase that line between you and God and to make sure that you have a way back. Words of life. I did not come to condemn you. 
not words of death that are what you deserve. So important. Was she a sinner? Yes. Did she deserve death? Yes. But so did everybody else standing there, every single one of them. And Jesus wanted to make sure that we don't get what we deserve. Instead, he came for good news, words of life, and these are them. Jesus didn't come to show you how bad you are. Jesus came to show you how loved you are. Words of life. Jesus did not come to show you how bad you are. He came to show you how loved you are. We can get confused about that. Because as you see right here, Jesus could have said those words about her being stoned. They were accurate and they were true. But they weren't life-giving. Even the perfect words of God can be used in a way that take away life instead of giving it. Remember the woman that I told you about earlier that I'd met with? The woman whose husband is about to leave her, who comes in and describes herself in all of these awful ways and the hurt that she's going through right now. Let me tell you what the wrong thing to say at that point was. You know, God hates divorce. True? Yeah. God's words? Yeah. Life-giving? No. No. Those were not the words of life that she needed to hear at that time. This was a woman made in the image of God who believed she had absolutely no value to anyone, including her Lord. And those were not the words of life that she needed to hear at that time. Fact is, yes, God does hate divorce, but it's not because it makes us bad, but it's because it hurts the ones that he loves. And those were not the words to be spoken at that time. True and life-giving, not the same thing all the time. I heard a father recently take a phone call from his daughter. Picked up the phone, and his daughter called. She had wrecked the car. She was in tears, crying. I wrecked the car. I'm sorry. It's out in the rain. She slid out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't be mad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He could have told her the truth. The truth is, man, you messed up. Boy, you blew it. Those things are true. You were driving too fast. You could have killed someone. You really messed up. This is going to cost us a fortune. All of those things, true. But instead, all the father could think to say was, it's okay. Daddy's coming. Those are the words of our father, our heavenly father, and the words of Jesus Christ. When we mess up, and when we know we've let people down, and when we know we have broken our heart and the heart of our Father, and we go to him, he doesn't say, I condemn you because what you did was stupid. He says, don't worry, Daddy's coming. I'm coming to get you and make sure that you're mine. The words of life. So how do we do this? Like I said, this is not addition by subtraction. This is not just driving out all of the bad things that we say, this is being filled with the words of life and making sure that we have them and they overflow from us and they just flow out of us in our everyday life. How do we do that? Well, first, you have to see others with the eyes of Christ. That's the only way that this works. 
You have to look at people and you have to see that there's an innate worth in every person around you because every one of them was made in the image of God. God has set their value. And he has set it so very high. You have to see them with the eyes of Christ, the way Christ saw people, the way Christ saw this woman who was brought before her. I had a guy recently come up to me at church, said, I need to talk to you, and he pulled me off aside into the foyer, and he's a young man, he's got a wife, and he's got a two-year-old, and he said, I have messed up, I have messed up big. I'm going, okay, tell me, what's, what's going on? And he had a business thing, and he cut some corners, and he broke some laws, and he's going to jail. I'm going to jail. I'm going to have to leave my family. I'm going to be a felon. For the rest of my life, I will be defined by what I did here as a felon. And it's our job at that point to look with him with the eyes of Christ and go, you are not defined by your worst moment. That is not who you are. The things that Jesus says about you don't have to do with your worst moment. They have to do with how much you're loved. They have to do with the price that he paid to make sure that you will be made clean. This will not define you. This is not who you are. You are a child of the king. You are not damaged goods. You will be washed clean by the blood of Christ. And that is not the way that Jesus sees you as somebody who will always be identified as their worst moment. We have to see others with the eyes of Christ. Second, we must make sure that we know the words of life. you got to know what those are. You know, one of the best reasons to study Scripture, not just so that we can spout Scripture back, that's not it. It's so that we know the words of life. That we have this deep reservoir of words that God has spoken about us, that Jesus has said about us, and we have that reservoir, and we can draw from it. At times when we're with one another, when people are hurting, when we're at work, when we're at home, the way we treat each other, the way that we are here in the church, that we can draw from these to say the words of life, to remind each other how important you are to God and who you are as a child of the King. We've got to know those words of life so that we can draw from them when we need to. Third, we should be committed. Stick with me on this one. Stick with me on this. We should be committed to prophesy into each other's lives. Now, when I use the word prophesy, I want you to stay with me for a minute because sometimes we go off on that and start to believe that what I'm talking about here is some mystical gift of fortune telling. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about at all. Prophesying, as much as anything, has always been speaking the words of God to his people. That's what it means to prophesy. Now, in the Old Testament, God would supernaturally take his prophets and go, here's the words I want you to say, and then they would go say it. We don't have that. We have this. We have the words of God. We have the words that Jesus Christ spoke. They've been given to us and entrusted to us. On the day that Jesus ascended back into heaven, he said, I am giving you the gospel. Go into all the world and take the good news. What is the good news? The words of life. Jesus told them, I have the words of life. Peter said at one point when Jesus said, are you going to leave too? Where would we go? You have the words of life. Those words have been given to us. We have been entrusted with those. You have those. And you have the Holy Spirit to guide you in when and how to say those. You have the words of life. And we need to say those words into each other's lives as often as we can. That sort of language has kind of been lost in our world. The words of God 
spoken into each other's lives of how God sees you, what God thinks about you, the value that Jesus placed on you. And we can prophesy into each other's life. These are the words of life, and they have power to bring life, eternal life, to the people around us. We should prophesy. It's nothing more than saying the words that God gave us. We have the authority, and we have the Holy Spirit to do it. Who better to do it? Who better to prophesy into the lives of others, to speak truth and life into the words of others than those of us who have been redeemed There's no better people than us to do that. Those of us that have been redeemed, those of us who have been remade, those of us that are new creation, that have been given a new identity, that we've been given a new name, we are the beloved, we are the saved, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are the ones to prophesy into the lives of other people at work, at school, on social media. Please, on social media, give words of life. Parents, Prophesy the words of God to your children, husbands to your wives, wives to your husbands, elders. Oh, you have such power to say the words of life to the people of a congregation. And all of you, every single one of you, prophesy to those who are seeking God. Say the words of life because this world is desperate for it. So as I close today, to those of you who are followers of Christ, I say to you these words of God. You are God's beloved. And nothing can separate you from God's love. God has carved your name on his hand. And he could no more forget you than a nursing mother could forget her child. God doesn't just love you. He delights in you. You bring him great joy and he rejoices over you with singing. And there is no condemnation for you because you're in Christ. That means there is nothing to condemn in you because you have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ in this world. That's who you are. To those of you that are here, maybe seeking today and you're not sure about who God is, about Jesus, about where you stand with him, Let me say these words to you, not mine, God's words. You are made in the image of God that makes you valuable. He loved you before you were ever born. He put his breath in you. He has set your worth because he gave his life for you. He loves you as a perfect father loves. Nothing can separate you from that love. There's no height, there's no depth. There's no sin, there's no shame, there's no guilt that can separate you from the love of God. And your father waits. He waits to welcome you home as a son or a daughter with full rights, with his name, and with his inheritance. Those are the words of life. They're not mine. It's just words that I've heard the Lord say. And I pass those on to you right now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our time here today. Lord, we're grateful that we get to share words of life with one another. And I pray that this may be a place that always shares words of life. That when people come here, they will know that our Savior and therefore us, we did not come to condemn, but we came to show how loved people are. That's why Jesus came, and that's the words that we share. 
Lord, we are thankful that our, our Savior Jesus didn't come to show us how bad we are, but instead came to show us how loved we are. Lord, we know that it takes sometimes difficult things to be said to brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes we do have to face our weaknesses and the things that are destroying us, but Lord, let us do this because of the value that you have placed on us and the value that you have been placed on others. Help us to be speakers of the good news, of words of life, of words of a Father who loves us deeply, who made us, who set our worth at more than gold, more than silver, more than diamonds. That we were so loved that he came and died for us to bring us back home. May this place always be a place filled with words of life. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you... Uh, if you need to talk to someone about this, if maybe you are interested in more of these words of life and what they mean for you, maybe you're ready to make a decision for Christ, maybe you just need to talk to somebody, maybe you need to come up and say, I just need to hear words of life because it's been a long time. There will be ministers, there will be elders around here as we stand and we sing this song. Sing the song.